1: brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere.
0: Hello everyone, it's Cheryl Arkell from Better Reading. Late 2019, we had an American author, Kylie Reid, visit the office. Her debut novel, Such a Fun Age, wasn't out yet, but she came in to meet us and record the following podcast. A searing debut for our times, Such a Fun Age is a big-hearted story about race and privilege set around a young black babysitter, her well-intentioned employer, and a surprising connection that threatens to undo them both. Such a Fun Age has gone on to have phenomenal success. It was the first Reeses Book Club pick for 2020, an instant New York Times bestseller, and now it is long-listed for the 2020 Booker Prize. In light of Kylie's well-deserved success, I decided to revisit this episode and share it with you. I hope you enjoy.
2: Kylie Reid, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. Uh, You've come a long way. A long way. It was a long flight, but I'm very happy to
0: be here. (laughs) (laughs) Kylie's come all the way from Denver, Colorado, to be with us here today,
2: so we're thrilled to bits. Um, You're in Sydney, i just a, for three days and then we'll do Melbourne for one day mm-hmm. and then I'll go back to Philadelphia where I live and where the book is based, which is kind of nice. Right, yeah. okay.
0: All right, let me introduce you. This is your first book. So you're a recent graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop where she was a recipient of the Truman Capote Fellowship. She lives in Philadelphia, as you just told us, mm-hmm. um, and this is uh, Kylie's new book, Such a Fun Age. Um, Kylie has been published many uh, well has published many articles and short stories in various publications including the tishman review corium magazine and one throne magazine one of her pieces also won the 2017 flash prose contest for the lumina journal flash prose (laughs) very short one yes yeah okay Such a Fun Age is a striking and surprising debut novel. It is a page-turning, big-hearted story about race and privilege set around a young black babysitter who was employed by a mother to two small children. One night the babysitter is out with the two-year-old and seeing a black woman out late with a white child, a security guard at their local high-end supermarket accuses her of kidnapping the child. Okay, I, I have read this and I can't... Avoid, even when I talk about it, still getting goosebumps. It is so relevant and it is Makes so topical. Yeah. What happens is a piercing social commentary that explores the stickiness of transactional relationships, what it means to make someone family, the complicated reality of being a grown up, and the consequences of doing the right thing for the wrong reason. I mean, it is so full of what's happening in the world today, Mm -hmm. but it is told in a beautiful, um, like when I picked it up, Such a Fun Age is such a, to me, felt like a, I don't know, a happy-go-lucky title, Um, but it's anything but that, is it?
2: Yeah, uh, it's definitely a phrase that I used to hear often when I was babysitting. And so on one end, it represents childhood. At the same time, it's a bit of a biting phrase, I think, Um, because you've never, I mean, you've never met a parent who says an an age and says, oh, this age is the worst, you know? (laughs) Um, But yeah, it is a bit of a ironic and biting title as... The quality of life for many of the characters is uh, very different from the Mm -hmm. first scene that you talked about in your 20s. It was supposed to be this very fun time. And I wanted to have a character who's very vulnerable because of her background and show how, you know, age 25 is for her in the States. Mm. So tell me about yourself. Tell me about where you grew up. I was born in Los Angeles, but I, oh, moved, well. yeah, yeah. I moved to Arizona Tucson, Arizona when I was seven, and that's definitely where I consider home. Yeah. Um, in college, I transferred to Marymount Manhattan College in New York City, yeah. where I ended up staying for nine years, and that's definitely where I realized that writing was what I wanted to do permanently. Um, I applied to graduate school the first time and got nine big rejections one after the other. And around that time... That's
0: preparing you for rejections in publishing. I
2: think so. <laughs> yes, it was rough. Mm. It's
0: um, called practice. <laughs> right, right.
2: Um, I definitely remember every place I was at when I got each rejection too. But I think mm-hmm. that that just makes you a little bit tougher. Uh, and my now husband had the opportunity to, to teach at the University of Arkansas. And he said, do you want to go with me? So I went. I just wrote my butt off and worked at a coffee shop and applied again and this time did not get nine rejections. So I started the novel in Arkansas. I took it to the Iowa Writers Workshop as my thesis and completed and sold it when I was there. Mm. So tell me, what was your upbringing like?
0: Um, I I mean, when you look back at your life, was it, you know, what was that like?
2: It was very different from, from Amira Tucker, who you described. I had the support of parents who really believed in education. I went to private schools. Um, like Amira, I was in very white spaces and often the only black person in the room and, and sometimes more than others, very aware of that. I loved storytelling from the beginning. I loved theater. I loved movies and I wasn't really sure what part of storytelling I would be doing if I could do it as a career. Um, but I was constantly reading and writing and I think it's because, Obviously, yes. this is the path I've chosen, yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you know, it's so interesting that you say that you're often, what What phrase did you use there, that you're often the only black person in the room? Mm-hmm. Did you say that? I did. Yeah, that to me is is something that I don't hear very often because being white, I guess we never make reference to whoever else is in the room, do we?
2: Right. It's
0: And that's where the problem lies.
2: Yeah. I think that when it comes to... Being the only person who looks like you in a room, what matters more than that is the class division that you may feel. And if the same situation had happened to me in a grocery store, like the one that happens to the character in my novel, it would be a very different story because I have the support and confidence in myself to take charge of that situation. But where, where class comes in, she's very vulnerable. She's low income and all of those things I think, matter even more. Mm.
0: It it. But do you think it goes beyond class as well, racism? I mean, only this morning I was reading an article in the New York Times about a police, well, somebody called the police about seeing a house with a door ajar. Mm-hmm. It was just the call wasn't even to triple O. It was just like I'm concerned about the people in the house. There might have been a break-in. And the police
2: came. And they shot dead, the resident in the house. Mm-hmm. I saw the same. It, I mean, for, that tragedy, I cannot imagine what that family is going through. I mean, through. she was
0: playing a video game uh-huh. and was
2: shot and dead by knows. the police. Yeah. The fact that slavery in the States still shapes what people think of who is aggressive and who is a threat and who is dangerous and how that is literally taking people's lives away is, I mean, there's no word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do think class comes into there as well at the same time on a basic level. Some people just see a black body and assume danger, which is a huge problem.
0: A massive problem. Mm-hmm. And there was another recent incident in the United States, and I can't remember where that was, where a white policewoman walked into a black person's apartment and shot him in the head.
2: He was eating ice cream. It's, mm-hmm. I, have, I have no words mm-hmm. for that. Um, yeah, history does not go away. It doesn't change that much, does it? Unfortunately, it doesn't. And do you think it's a
0: combination of race, as you said, class, I guess, um,
2: and gun violence?
0: Would that be I in think the mix?
2: It, I think gun violence is a huge part of it because it's that, when it comes to people's lives being at stake, it's that instant. It takes one instant to change your life and someone mm-hmm. else's. Um, I wish that... It wasn't this guttural instinct, but when you have a guttural instinct and an instrument that takes one moment, yeah, I think we're seeing it for ourselves in the numbers. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell. Do you know him? I have not read his work. I think we have the same agency, but I have not read his work. <laughs> yeah.
0: Same agency. Oh, my God. I'm three de- three degrees separated or no, <laughs> six degrees separated. I've never met
1: him. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome.
0: I'm, I'm a big fan. And, mm-hmm. I'm, um, and I was listening to a podcast of his the other day and he was talking about um, – uh, the how we react to people that we don't know and what what assumptions we make. So what assumption I made in meeting you this morning. I don't know you. Mm-hmm. However, I, I mean I always feel I know a person if I've read a book. So there's there's that assumption. Well, I'm not a complete stranger there because mm-hmm. I kind of know a bit about you. But he was talking about the insu- assumption of, of just meeting people for the first time and what people make of that and our interactions with strangers regardless. And he did talk about... Um, ...American police people and he was saying that their assumption always is it's danger... ...that there is going to be a level of violence and if you pull over somebody in a car... ...he was referring to the very famous incident of a black woman recently... ...he was pulled over on well, the last Ms. couple Sandra of years. Sandra Bland, yeah. Sandra Bland, that's exactly her. Um, and she was pulled over just because her taillight wasn't working... ...or something ridiculous like that. Um... But the point he was getting at is that we have in us all this innate prejudice, I guess, that we've grown up with it. But also when it comes to gun violence, if that same incident happened in Canada, for instance, or even Australia, where the assumption is you're never going to have a gun on Mm -hmm. you, then that reaction would be totally different. So I feel that in the United States, you've got three things that are so deeply rooted in terms of culture, that it's so hard to change, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because you've got racism and that's not going to be going anytime soon. You've got class, again, so entrenched. And then you've got gun violence, Mm -hmm.
2: again, so entrenched, right? Yeah, those are three huge factors and, and people literally losing their lives over these things. Another thing that I think that is happening in the past few years is in this, especially in the literary scene, you know, in this move to hear more diverse voices, yeah. what is often happening is uh, voices like me, like yeah. a black person who was raised in upper middle class family, um, who's really only experienced one thing. Those are the voices that are heard and saying, oh, well, we can check this off of our list now. We've heard a black person. And so we know more about the black experience when really the class dynamics aren't that different there. And... There's no differing opinions going on. It's just, it's it's. Um, I can't remember who says it like this, but it's um, diversifying what people look like, but not the diversity of experience, really. Yeah. So yeah. there's this yeah. kind of pat on the back of saying, "Oh, well, we, you know, hired this black person, or we now have this trans person," and but it's people who have always had the same the advantages that um, their counterparts have had in these businesses. So I think there's a bit of a pat on the back going around, but not a lot is getting done in a lot yeah. of those circumstances. Hmm. And what do you think needs to happen for things to get done? I mean, I think the biggest thing that can happen in those areas is policy change. Um, making it illegal to, you know, deny housing and making it illegal to practice fossil fuel industry because it's poor communities that are affected by those things first. And it's nice to feel good and a lot of people like to do these individual acts of kindness that they think are going somewhere, but I think societal policy change needs to be the first thing that can change to help people from the bottom up.
0: Yeah, yeah. When you're writing fiction... So talk to me about that and talk to me about your writing and what you draw on. I mean, you know, it's storytelling. Mm -hmm. And first and foremost, it's got to be engaging. It's got to be a story that, you know, readers are going to want to read. But what
2: other factors come into it for you? For me, it always starts with people. I don't really know what the story is going to be first, but the people have to intrigue me. I think I heard Tayari Jones say that you want to write about people's problems and not problems people you know we've had her have
0: you, right there in your chair you? oh, i yeah. think she's fantastic um, she
2: was really fantastic it was a couple yeah, of years ago she's yeah. wonderful um and i think that's spot on i pers- i don't like issues books and i'm putting quotes around issues yeah. a little bit that try and say we're going to tell a story about feminism right now um i like getting really intrigued by a human and their their perks and their problems and when that sheds light on other things that's even better but i need to get hooked on people first mm. so with this novel i started off with Amira and alex and then i gave the first 50 pages to a writer that i trust and he said start over and that hurt but he was right and then that's where the grocery store scene came in after that of putting them in this situation
0: yeah yeah, and so those characters were well-developed for you. You just had to put them in the right scenario.
2: Yes, yes. I wrote many scenes of them together before this. the real scenario came. Um, yeah, so it always starts for people with me. Yeah.
0: Okay, I want to go to, uh, back a little bit yeah. to when the passion for writing started. When So were you a,
2: a great reader as a child? I loved reading all the time. Uh, what were some of your influences? Oh, my Lord. Do you remember the Goosebumps series? Yes, <laughs>
0: I do remember. The, I sold, you know, I was a bookseller at the time and I think I sold hundreds and thousands of copies of those I ones. think
2: that's about how many I read. So, yes. Because yeah, I mean, <laughs> there, there are There <laughs> are. But they really drew me in. I mm. loved every one of them. I was very into those. I liked the Avi series. The the, the historical fiction ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else did I read when I was little? I did the Little House on the Prairie oh, books. They were I great. They those. were really great. Yeah. The and hor- I love the TV show as they well. They were great too. Yeah, yeah, the mm. Horrible Harry series I yeah. loved. So always reading and writing as well. I wrote all- Wr- Writing as a child? Yeah. I did. I wrote a lot of short stories that all pretty much had the same story, but we're just in different places. And it was just like <laughs> teens getting to kiss each other was pretty yeah. much the plot line there. Um, and I kept writing and I wrote a few terrible novels when I was in college, but it was just for fun. Well, it's practice as well, isn't it? It's practice that I'm really glad that I did. I'm glad I got those. Uh, I have a teacher that calls it a uh, throat clearing before yeah. you do other things. I mean, you know, when you talk about music,
0: for instance, it's hours and hours of practice. Yes. And I think, you know, to write a novel is, is
2: pretty much the same. I agree. It's like a muscle. I didn't, Ooh. I always thought that either people had it or they didn't, but I definitely think the more you write the be- and the more you read, the better you get. Um, I still think that you either have it or you don't have it. Oh, I think there's an it factor that I agree with you with. Yes. Yes. yes there's a certain type of way to walk through the world as a writer or not, mm. and and some people have it or not. So I agree with you there, but I do think you can get better. Yes. Without or, a doubt. Yeah. Or maybe just get rid of bad habits. Yeah. Is yeah. how that goes. Yeah. Um, But I was always into storytelling, and I didn't know which way, but I think around age 23, I took a writing class, and I had a teacher say, you should keep doing this, and that one little instance can always change things, so. Um, And I like the fact
0: that you'd been writing, so were you writing just short stories for a time and just entering them into competitions? Because that I think is a great tip for aspiring writers, isn't
2: it? I agree. I agree. Uh, For maybe four or five years, I would come home from my reception job and spend about two hours either writing or submitting. Um, Mm. And so I published in maybe 10 places, but that means I got rejected for maybe like, Two, three hundred or so. Yeah, there was a lot
0: of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by now, you know, you've probably got thousands of rejections. Probably make a wallpaper of them. Yes, yeah, Yeah, yeah. for sure. I spoke to an author recently, and I think she she kept her rejections on a spreadsheet. And I think she told me for the one book, well, she kept changing it, but she got over a hundred rejections.
2: I mean, it's I mean, it's so funny when you the excitement you have from a good rejection will just carry you through for maybe three weeks. I remember one that said, this one almost made it. Try again. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good rejection. (laughs) What's a bad rejection? Dear author. Yeah. uh, Not even using your name. Yes, not even using your name. Um, Or maybe ones that come like six months later when you forgot that you sent it, Yeah, I think. Oh, oh no. I remember I got a rejection from a college in the States that I had not applied to. That one hurt. Yeah. I was applying to other schools. I don't know how they got my information, but that one hurt a little bit. That's very funny. Um,
0: With such a fun age, tell me the process of publication. Like so you knew you had the feeling of writing it. Because I think you as an author know when it's right, don't you? When you you finish it and you think this is the one. Yes. Did you think that?
2: I did. Um, I was really lucky to have the novel workshop come to our school. They do it every other year, and it was in my first year. And so Paul Harding, the author of Tinkers, who's fantastic, he taught it. And I had a great workshop and then just went to work like 10 hours a day for like months. And so... I now feel like when you know it's done, it's not exactly done, but you know that you've taken it as far as you can take it. Yeah. And so, from there, it was getting an agent. And so I had met maybe four or five agents. Because that's not easy. It's not. No, query writing right. is almost as, just as hard as, as writing the novel. It's very difficult. Yeah. Um, and finding authors with writers with similarities, but who are willing to take a debut on. And so I queried fourteen. And I ended up with the one that I had actually met first, oh, wow. and she was fantastic and just—it's like dating, and I just felt like yeah. we really clicked. Yeah. And so then she and I edited the novel for maybe six weeks, um, and then we sent it out. And that yeah. was it. Mm-hmm.
0: And so that's another process as well. Oh yeah. You know, you've got firstly the agent accepting the manuscript, and then you've the publishing. Office. Oh yeah. And that's another ball game entirely. Isn't it's it? a
2: strange thing, and and Paul Harding says when you're writing your first novel, to really relish that time because it's the last time where it's just you and the work. It's this kind of pure artist moment before you have other people weigh in. And sometimes you agree and sometimes you disagree. Um, Mm. But I got very lucky that the people I work with, one, trust me, but two, hold the work to a high standard and will tell me if something's not working. Yeah. And how did you feel when you finally got the offer to be published? It's... Because you're very young. <laughs> I, I'm 32. I don't know if that, I mean, I'm glad it's happening now at 32 rather than 22 so I yeah. can really look at it. But it's such a long process um, of selling it that it all feels quite surreal by the time that it happens. Mm-hmm. And I was actually on an island called Cutty Hunk one We finally sold it and my service wasn't working, so sometimes the phone would cut in and cut out and I was like, I'm going to lose my mind here. Um, I think just as a writer knowing that you get to do it again is just the biggest release.
3: Mm. It was
2: a fantastic feeling to know that I can, you know, have this novel out in the world and also get to do it again.
0: And also I think it would be the, um, the, the feeling that people want to read it
2: Mm-hmm. Do yes. you think?
0: Because, I mean, that's what publishers are good at. They're good at picking the market, aren't they? Knowing or finding a readership for your book. Yes.
2: Yeah. Especially with this book, with such um, a domestic, almost petty instance. Um, I love that people connected it with that in this way as well. Oh, sure. It's
0: I didn't read it as domestic, though. Oh, good. Okay,
2: that's great. Gosh. <laughs> wow.
0: Um, I felt it was much bigger than that.
2: That makes me happy. I love it tiny, cringy moments yeah. that you end up thinking about, you know, before you go to bed 10 years later. So yeah. I feel that those moments are very big too, but I love when they happen yeah. on like a low to the ground level. Yeah. And also too I think that experience when you're talking
0: about the nuance of of race and, and um, uh, all of those things and class and everything else, it, it's a universal
2: language. I think so too. Don't you think? Yes, I mean. We all feel it. We all hear it. I think we all hear it and question whether we did the right thing in that moment. I don't think that that's going anywhere anytime soon. Well, I mean,
0: let's not get political, but <laughs> I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon in yeah. your country oh, and ours as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems to be a global, we've got a global swell of hatred at the moment. Anyway, yeah. that will pass hopefully. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about this and the success that, you know, the the success successes is having everybody's talking about and and it's it's not been released yet,
2: is it? No, in the states it's New Year's Eve, which is kind of funny. Yeah. And here it is January 7th. Right. Um, Does that make you feel a little bit anxious about your
3: second novel? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
2: But uh, my editor told me, you just have to write the novel that you want to write. Leave everything else up to us. Yeah. And that's all you can really do as a writer. Um, I have tried to stop reading any reviews because I can't take – feedback on this novel and apply it to another novel that I haven't no. written yet. I can't do that. No, you can't so, do that. Yeah, this is kind of a special little period before the book comes out that I'm trying to get a lot of work done on novel number 2, right. but I'm also giving myself a little bit of a grace period yeah, as well. But yeah, of course. of course, yeah. Um
0: absolutely. Um do you th- are you writing full time now? Yes. Oh wow, that's mm-hmm. a privilege too, isn't it?
2: I mean, it's it's a complete dream. Yes. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. And it takes a long time often to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, I do miss teaching and I think I might go back to that at some point, but but right now the novels are the the first thing. Oh. Yeah. Kylie Reid, thank
0: you so much for talking with us today.
2: Thank you so much. It's been lovely.
0: If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au.
1: This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio.